Romans 16, I want to start in verse 17 and, and go through verse 20, although I'm not really going to touch on 20 too much. It says, now I urge you, brothers, I'm reading from the New American Standard 2020 version. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those causing dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such people are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning in this short little passage that you would give us an ear to hear that which the Spirit would say to each of us. Help us, Lord, to receive those things from you that you have for us. And, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit that we might receive, that you would fill me with your spirit as well, that not only might I receive in my own life, but I would be able to impart that which you desire to share with each of us this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So I always, I always read in the American Standard, it seems like actually I'm bouncing around some. And then I, when it comes to my notes, I take notes in accordance with what is written in the New King James. And so in the New King James, it says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions. Um, it says to note them. Um, I think the old King James says mark. I don't know if anybody has an old King James with them, but I think it says to mark those. It's, it's a very strong word in the Greek. Uh, the Greek word is skopeo, uh, a very strong term. And, and here it means to look out for something so as to avoid. To look out for something so as to avoid. And, and so it, it's, Paul is it, interesting here at the end of this letter, he's throwing this in. And he's telling them that they, they need to be careful, that they need to be on the lookout and, and uh, to note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. And avoid them. I looked in the, my Bible and I thought it, it didn't say to try to win them over. I thought that was interesting. This is hard stuff. Because we live, we live in a culture that, that wants to be known as, really must, most of us want to be known as people, as Christians who accept others. And I, I think we, we need to be accepting. But it, it's, it's one thing for someone to come in who is struggling with sin. And what I've, what I've learned, what I've learned in my own life and, 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 uh, is, is that that I cannot accurately put a timeline in someone else's struggle. I wish I could. For goodness sake, I can't even put a timeline on my own. But I, I, I can't put a timeline on someone else's struggle. And, and so 
I, I recognize that there is a difference between someone who wants to walk with Jesus, but the, the flesh is willing, excuse me, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. As opposed to someone who really just wants to stir the pot and stir up the sension. In fact, Proverbs tells us in, in uh, I believe it's Proverbs 16, 16 uh, it tells us that there are six things that are abomination to the Lord, seven things that he actually hates, and the last is the one who stirs up uh, dissension or, or, or strife within the brethren. People who create problems for others. And in, in this particular context, it really, it really talks about how they are acting, and m- many of the commentators uh, address this and interpret this, not only are they acting contrary to the doctrine which they learned, which I find fascinating. A lot of commentators take this a step further and say that they are teaching doctrine contrary to what they are learned. That may be a little bit beyond the text, but what is interesting here, he writes this in Romans 16 after he's written what? Romans 14 and 15 which talks about us uh, as the church. Uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 15, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. Romans 14, verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. That is the contrary doctrine, I think, that Paul is talking about in the context here in Romans 16, it is that we're to receive, and, and I don't want to backtrack back into 14 and 15. We've already looked at that. But, but we're to receive those who are weaker in the faith. I hate these categories. But if we are weaker in the faith, we are to be received by those stronger in the faith. But we're, we're not to come together so that we can prove our point. We don't study the Bible so that we have the best argument at Starbucks. That's, and that's really my whole, my, my, my whole heart of, of wanting to go back into the Gospel of John and, and, and seeing what it was and, and how Jesus, Jesus lived and how he engaged and how he interacted and, 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 and how he ministered to people and how he loved people, but also how he also very wisely addressed the situations of the day. Because I think wisdom is in short supply today in the church. That's my opinion. Your mileage may vary. It's definitely in short supply outside the church. But Paul is saying to mark those, to note those who cause divisions. Um. This division was apparently something that was threatening the unity of the church. And it's it's marked in the grammar of the Greek here in chapter 16. It's marked with a definite article. It's referring to the divisions. He doesn't say what it was. Just like he was a little vague in chapter 14, a little vague in chapter 15 about certain things. We can't always get down to the specifics. But if there's something that's causing a division among us, we need to pay attention to that. 
We need to pay attention to that. And, and uh, something that was definitely becoming a threat to the um, unity of that particular church body in the city of Rome. And one who causes dissension is also a list of those who are uh, those who walk in the in, in the flesh, according to Galatians chapter five verse twenty. You have this whole list of, of it's not the fruit of the flesh, but it's it's the markings of the flesh, and one of us those are the ones who cause dissension. Now I, I mentioned Proverbs sixteen. I, that was error. I finally found my in my notes. It's Proverbs chapter six. So if you wrote that down, just scratch out the one. It's Proverbs chapter six, verse sixteen and nineteen. And and, but anyway, w- what we have here is we are to note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So you have this division, this, this separation. We, we talked about it. It's a very strong term. Again, this is the word uh, uh, where, where it refers to uh, those who are in strife with each other. And then you have this word uh, where, where it tells us the divisions and the offenses. Now, this word offenses is, is interesting because in some of the translations, I believe it is translated hindrances or obstacles. Um, it's an interesting word in the Greek because it's the Greek word scandalon, from which we get the English word scandal. It's used also in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, where it says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall, scandal on, stumbling block or cause to fall, the scandal on, in our brother's way. So he's reiterating, as he has done in so many other times in this book, he's reiterating what he's already written about. And and so... uh, and he's referring to, to people behaving and possibly teaching those doctrines that are contrary to what they have learned. Now, I want to get into false teaching, but I'm going to get into that, that in the very end of this. So let's just kind of set that off to the side just for a moment. And, and then, interesting, though, in the, in the New King James, it says they serve their own belly. They serve their own belly. Now, I can relate to that because I like to eat. I do. Matter of fact, I haven't ate yet today, and I'm thinking of food. Now that I start talking about food, I'm really thinking about food and kind of wondering what we're going to have for dinner tonight already. I have no idea. Anyway, uh, I do do that every once in a while. I start talking about food, and I get a little bit carried away. Why? Because um, I like to eat. Paul is using this metaphor, I believe. Because he's probably not talking about them being gluttons. Nonetheless, he says they like to, to serve their own bellies. But, but it, there, there are different possibilities here. Pick one, pick both. Your mileage may vary. And everybody said, amen, right? They could have been preoccupied for food laws. That's kind of what we saw in chapter 14 and 15, didn't, didn't we? 
they may have been preoccupied with food loss. You're not going to eat that, are you? Right? You ever ever sat down to eat with someone and they start scrutinizing everything that's on your plate? You have, huh? Um, I don't enjoy that. Let's just—I have a couple other things I could say about that, but I'll just say I don't really enjoy that, you know. And, and that—that could have been what was going on here. Um, and again, part of the problem—you got a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this church, and some of them were eating pork, some of them were having bacon. Remember I talked about the bacon cheeseburger several weeks ago? Maybe one was having a bacon cheeseburger, maybe one wasn't. And one really wanted to have that bacon cheeseburger because it served their own belly. Actually, their mouth, more than that, I think. But it could have been a description here, too, of of any type of self-indulgence. Any type of self-indulgence, any type of greed, uh, and, and... um, when, when you think about self-indulgence and greed, they really point to what? They really do point to our own inflated ego. Now, not any of you, of course, right? People at my last church, right? But that's, that, again, with, with the picture that Paul is drawing for us here of someone who wants to, to, to uh, serve their own belly, Serve their own flesh. Uh, and often it is, is in, and, and I've listened to people say this and when they break a diet. Now, you, you do what you want, all right? You eat what you want. I don't care. You eat as much as you want. It's not my problem. I'm not your dad. Never will be. Okay, but, but I have seen people who are like, I've been good all week. You know where I'm going. I've been good all week, and I deserve this. Now, if you've ever said that, God bless you, okay? I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to hang you over hell on this one. That really is an expression of your own ego. Anytime we say we deserve something, I'll just leave that with you and get off this and move on before I start stepping on any more toes than I probably already have. But, but, I, but I, I think... Any kind of expression of indulgence. And I have seen it in churches where people will come into churches and it really becomes this, what can you do for me? Or what type of following can I get here? I was meeting with a group of pastors a couple of weeks ago and a guy is describing a story and I said to him, it sounds to me like you've got a church within a church. And those things are dangerous. Uh, and and because it's a contrary, it's a contrary doctrine to what is being te- taught in the pulpit from that particular church. There's a division going on there. That's the problem. And of course, as I mentioned before, at times, offer them five hundred bucks, let them go start their own church somewhere else. You know, if 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 that's where they're at. But 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 nonetheless. This is probably referring to some type of indulgence. Um, one of the commentators referred to this as a self-speaking, excuse me, a self-seeking spirit. A Rather, a self-seeking spirit. Someone who's seeking their own benefit. 
someone who's looking for their own following. What's interesting about this, this idea of, of Paul using this analogy of someone who wants to serve their own belly? This might have been part of what motivated those who wrote what's called the Didache. The Didache is called the Twelve. It was written probably late first century. It is not on par with Scripture. It is not inspired, but it is, was a handbook for how the early church was to conduct themselves in church. And one of the tests that they had for prophets I found interesting because in those days they would have these traveling prophets who would kind of travel around and, and go from church to church and play the thus says the Lord thing, right? And it, it, there was one of the tests that they had uh, in the Didache for someone if a prophet came into your midst and said, thus says the Lord, prepare a meal. And then if he partook of it, he was a false prophet. I thought that was an interesting criteria that they use. It's, it's spelled D-I-D-A-C-H. Um, look at, look at, it's very interesting read. It's rather short. Uh, it's, it's pretty hardcore. It's, it's, it's stuff that it feels like it came right out of first and second Peter. It's very hardcore stuff. Um, but that might have, this might have been what motivated them. You know, someone who was, who was, who was wanting to serve their own, their own physical lust, their own physical desire. And, and so um, the Didache spelled it out. If a prophet comes in and says, thus says the Lord, make a meal, and then he partakes of it. You know, so if we have a potluck again, and if someone, I guess if I suggest to have a pot like me, I shouldn't eat it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, y'all can have one without me. How's that? Anyway, um, but they, they serve their own belly. They do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But with smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. One of the translations, I, I believe it says ignorant. But it's, it deceives the hearts of the, the simple. I like that one's easier to swallow, I guess. Uh, this idea of smooth words and, and flattering speech. Now, these were people who were well-versed in what is called rhetoric. Rhetoric was simply, well, it's kind of like what I'm doing right now, but it's simply getting up in front of people and giving a speech. Remember, there was no telephone. There was no internet, there was no television, there was no radio, there was the theater, but there was a lot of value in someone, get, and, and Mars Hill in, in the city of Athens was an example of this, where they would sit around and they would try to sell each other on this new philosophy that they had either concocted in their own head or read about or, or whatever the case may be. Speech was very important back then. And, and so this idea of flattering speech, Greek word is eulogia, eulogia, E-U-L-O-G-I-A, which from which we get the word eulogy. It really, it, it, it's a very, very broad word in meaning. It refers to the act of speaking in favorable terms. That is, when you praise someone. Um, it can be an extended sense of, of fine speaking. Have you, ever, have you ever listened to someone speak 
and you were just enraptured with their speaking style to such a degree that maybe it even took you a while to realize they really weren't saying a whole lot. But they had an incredible speaking style. I won't say I know some pastors like that. But anyway, um, but I have. But that's kind of what this is referring to. Someone who is really well-crafted in being able to communicate doesn't mean what they're communicating is true. But boy, it sounds good. I remember, well, we'll tell the story. I remember one time this guy is teaching first chapter in the book of Revelation, and I'm sitting here, and I'm enthralled. This guy's a good speaker. And all of a sudden, it struck me. He hasn't said a word about the text yet. (laughs) What am I doing here? You know? Uh, and, And that's part of what this word eulogy refers to. It really also means specifically words that are well chosen. Well chosen, but untrue. A false eloquence, a flattery. It even can refer to the act of blessing someone, which is interesting. We see that in Genesis 27 in the Septuagint, it uses this word, uh, Genesis 27, 12. Also in, in Genesis 49, 25, uh, I, I'll read it to you out of the New King James, but it says, by the word of your father who helped you and by the almighty who bless you, that word bless you, in the Septuagint is translated the same word, uh, eulogia, which is translated here a flattering speech. So it can be something positive. It can be something negative. And that's the thing. When something is negative, it is often disguised as something that is positive. Most false teachers don't hit you with a full, full front, head on, this is the truth. They kind of come around from the side. They do a flank maneuver. And they incorporate just enough truth to where it sounds good. I think that was... I think that was the problem with a ministerial association I once belonged to where the Mormons came in and, well, we're Christians just like you. We read the Bible. Of course, they didn't want to talk about the Pearl of Great Price or the Doctrines of Covenants or the Book of Mormon, which to me are not inspired books. That's just my opinion. But they they wanted to come in and, 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 and they wanted to talk up Jesus and they wanted to be a part of that ministerial association. And all these other guys, except for one, and he was belligerent. He was worse than me. But he was belligerent. But all these other guys were like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. It's like, wake up. They're a cult. For goodness sake. Unless they bow at the name of Jesus and understand that Jesus is part of the triunity of God. They're not of the faith. But it was flattering speech. And this idea of, uh, of just making you feel good and making you feel loved and wanted and appreciated and, 
and for goodness sake, they, they do a lot of wonderful things, but, but, but where I break fellowship is the question of who is Jesus. And that's the most important question for me. If we're not, if we're not, if we're not on track of who Jesus is, then we are, as the book of Amos asks the rhetorical question, can two walk together unless they agree? We can't agree. We don't walk together. Because light has nothing to do with darkness. And according to what the scripture says here, that you avoid them. You avoid them. You don't toy with the idea of, well, maybe we can fellowship, or maybe we shouldn't do a church service together, but let's do a youth thing together. Why? So they can fish in your pond? What's wrong with you? Then I look like a bad guy. Anyway, such as it is. Flattering speech. It sounds good. I, I listened to a guy the other night. And I'll get into this later. But anyway, I listened to a guy the other night, and he's, he's doing a prophecy update out of Matthew 24. He's interpreting it very differently than I do. Is he a false teacher? Nah, probably not. Does he have a different interpretation? Yes, he does. So I have to find some common ground with this guy because he, he is, he's a brother. And so it, we have to discern some of these things sometimes. There, 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 there are certain things that some of you believe that, uh, that are, are, are not consistent with what I believe. I can turn that around, huh? There are certain things that I believe that you don't believe. But you're still here. We, we still fellowship, right? We're still part of the body of Christ together. That's different than someone who's coming in with flattering speech because they're really uh, smooth-talking, flattering speech because they really want to serve their own desires. They really want to, to, to have an audience or have a, a level of control over people. Some people, that feeds them. Now, there's some problems there. There's some serious problems there, but some people, that, that's, that's what they gravitate toward. Even this morning, we take communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says the cup of blessing, eulogia, again. So again, it can be used as a positive word. The cup of blessing, which we bless. A verb form of the word, eulogia. So, Flattering speech is going to sound like the truth often. That's why I, I hope, I hope that, I hope that this morning is not the only Bible you ever do during the week. I hope this isn't the only time you read the Bible. You know, and you know, e even within the Orthodox faith, some of the guys on the radio I can't stand. To be honest with you, I know some of you love those guys on the radio that I don't even want to listen to. We just have different views. They are brothers. Some of them do have flattering speech, but we're brothers. Okay, so we have to be discerning here. When are we dealing with someone who is just wanting to soothe their own? their own passion, their own desire, and when are we dealing with someone who really just has a passion for the things of the Lord, even though we may have disagreements about certain elements of the faith? 
See, how we deal with this, I think, there are certain differences that we can live with. And we can live without a mutual respect. Like I said, I watched this guy. He's doing a prophecy update. He's using Matthew 24. I'm thinking, you don't even have any. Just never mind. Click. I'm done. You know. But he's a brother. So out of mutual respect, I turned him off. Because I didn't want to listen anymore. Right? But there are also things we can't live with. And that is why in this town, there's, what, nine different churches that are meeting right now. Because we recognize that different, different doctrines are based on different interpretations. And doctrines, the problem with doctrines is that times with some folks, they can become hobby horses. You know what a hobby horse is? I haven't ridden a hobby horse since... I was two or three, I guess. But it takes a lot of energy to get that thing rocking back and forth, but you're not going anywhere. That's what's funny about a hobby horse. But, but I've known people, again, at my last church, I've known people that, that certain doctrines become hobby horses for them. I was with a group of pastors recently. Their particular worldview has become a hobby horse. Going back and forth and back and forth, but really going nowhere. Sometimes it's, it's, it's better to, to, to realize that, that two cannot walk together unless they agree. But thirdly, and this is where the real problem is, there are certain things that we believe that are an error, and things that we believe are an error can be damaging. False doctrines. I, I was reading a book a book just for fun yesterday. I was going to bring it in, then I forgot. Of course, I do that a lot. Uh, and You guys remember a guy named Walter Martin? He, he wrote a book on the essentials of the faith. It's a really good book. I don't agree with everything he wrote, actually, but I like the guy. Um, and he, he wrote a nice little book on the essentials of the faith. And, and it's on the essentials of the faith that we hold firm to, the inspiration of the Bible. The, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the deity of Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the deity of God the Father, the necessity of the new birth. These are doctrines, to me, they are non-negotiable. What you believe about end times, you know, good luck with that, but that's your business, I guess. But there are certain things that we have to hold fast to that we cannot budge on and that we have to stand firm in. So there are certain things we can't live with. But even in that, guys, this is important. We trust in God. We do not trust in our belief system or our systematic theology. Now, the, what's the problem with that? There's a problem with that statement. Because the thing is, it's through our belief system that we are actually able to trust in God. Does that make sense? All right. So I say, yes, I want to trust God, not trust what I believe. Well, part of how I trust God is through what I believe. 
So that's why it's important, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, to study to show yourself approved of workmen that needs not to be ashamed to rightly divide the word of truth. I don't, you know, to me, to me the studying the Bible is, and I do some, right? I study the Bible. And, but it's, it's troublesome for me because I feel like I can't get enough of it. And then I forget stuff. I hate forgetting stuff. But, but let me encourage you to, to spend time daily with God in his word. And realize that you trust in him, not in your belief system, but it is through your belief system that you trust in him. Even if from time to time, like I have, have changed some of my beliefs. And certain things I no longer believe necessarily are in fact true, but those are non-essential things. I'm, for, I'm hardcore on the, on the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm hardcore on, on inspiration of the Scripture. I'm hardcore on the new birth and its necessity and in the substitute, uh, substitution of Jesus' death on the cross for each of us. And for us, the only way that we get to heaven is through receiving him as Lord and Savior. But the thing is, every systematic theology has its weaknesses and it has its strengths. Or it has its strengths and it has its weaknesses. So we attempt to glean from that. You know, I read sources that I disagree with. I don't always watch sermons that I disagree with. I get tired of them. But I do read sources that I disagree with because I'm sifting them. Because in each of these 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 systematic theological ideas, there are kernels of truth. Now, if you question any of them long enough, I think you're going to end up with problems. Any of them. Even some of yours. Right? Even mine. <laughs> but nonetheless, there's that constant refining, that constant refining of, of saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, help me to study to show myself approved. So I only got you here for what, hour and 15? If I keep talking, it's going to be an hour and 20. But, you know, and I can only give you in, in 40 minutes or so a condensed of probably, I don't know, depending on the week, between 8 and 15 hours of study and try to condense it down. And the whole time I'm like, don't say that, don't say that, don't, you know, because... Because I'm, I'm trying to pack it all in, right? And, and trying to hit highlights for you. In the book of Acts, it talked about the Bereans more, being more noble than the Thessalonians, which I can hardly say well. Because they search the scriptures to see if whether Paul, whatever it was that Paul was saying was true. I believe it's Acts 17.11. They searched the scriptures to see what Paul was saying was true. And so, let me recharge you. You've heard me this morning. Search the scriptures to see what I'm saying is true. When you hear others speak, 
search the Scriptures to see what they're saying, whether that be true. Don't compare your favorite TV or radio or Internet pastors with me or me with them. But compare us to the Scriptures to see whether or not what we are saying is true. Amen.